All right, welcome to the latest episode of the Columbia Basin Conservative Institute podcast. Josh and Ken here, as usual. And uh, no guests today. Uh, we've had a string of pretty pretty awesome guests. In fact, you know, we've had great guests throughout the run of the show and excited to have more lined up and more coming down the pipe. But uh, we did want to recap a few things, and uh, so we uh, decided to do a solo episode this time. Yeah, and actually you can hear almost all 10 of our listeners uh, slowly beginning to skip to the episode. Just... <laughs> Hey, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a mix to see. It, it is interesting to see which ones are um, our most listened to episodes. And But one, one is uh, one that's just you and I. I mean, obviously, when we have a guest on there, uh, it helps when they share it and let their uh, followers and friends know. But uh, there's, there's a few that we've done together that either people are listening out of morbid curiosity or, or maybe we are, in fact, providing a, a service here, um, if not just entertaining ourselves. So, um, yeah, I think first things first, really, really grateful to have had, um, you know, Todd Myers on the show recently, and that was a really fun conversation. Uh, we were able to say hi to him last Friday at the Washington Policy Center event in Spokane that Ken and I both went to and uh, thank him for being on the show. Just an incredible asset to the state of Washington. He's uh, a genius, and I don't use that word lightly, and so i uh, glad that he was so generous with his time. Absolutely, a thousand percent agree. I uh, couldn't thank Todd enough for being so generous with this time. And uh, I, I hope you had fun. Uh, of course, we talked a bit about energy policy, and those of you who have listened to it have uh, already know about kind of the issues covered, but also had a fun time talking about just conservatism more broadly speaking, which uh, for those of you who have listened to even just a handful of our episodes or know anything about our organization here, uh, you know that topic is pretty close to our hearts here at CBCI and a main reason why we jumped into this organization here. So um, yeah, if you haven't listened to it yet, I'd highly recommend to go back and do that. Uh, it's really fun. Fortunately for you all, Todd does a, a lion's share of the speaking. So <laughs> uh, again, it's a good one to listen to. Great one. If you're, if you want updates on some of the energy policy issues going on in the state, and then if you're uh, have at all been interested in some of the uh debates or conversations going on in conservatism, republicanism, uh, which we've touched on here a bit. We get into that. And it was just, yeah, a ton of fun. And then uh, shortly right after that, we had another kind of a big name guest in the state uh, with Jim Walsh was so generous, especially given how busy he is starting up his new gig as chair of the uh, Washington State Republican Party here. He sat down for, was it our longest episode, Josh? It, it was, it was. And yeah. Um, and that, that's what, you know, I think, uh, we didn't quite go as deep in every area that we wanted to just for sake of time. And if, if you haven't listened to that episode, maybe you at least are aware of, of Jim Walsh and he, he is a professional talker, so he was able to, to keep it rolling, but, um, glad to have had him on the show. There, there are a few things where I wish we could have asked more follow-ups, um, and we'll have him back on. So I'm looking forward to that, but, um, I I did. I did try to um, respectfully disagree with him at a few few different areas where, um, you know, we talked about why not even the Republican Party or not even the right, like just why the people in why Seattle continues to send back the same people, and um, I know Jim's point was well, we haven't really given them a clear alternative, and I think the alternative he's suggesting and suggesting is in conservative type candidate, which 
I don't think that would play very well. I think, um, and this is sort of what I was alluding to in the uh, the episode with him, is that when you have two people on the left running for a position and they're just various degrees of left, I think he was saying, well, we're not really giving them an, an option. And my feeling was, well, they do have an option. They have the incumbent who's presided over burning the city to the ground, or they have the alternative who is saying, hey, let, look at all this ash heap that we're living in. Let's clean this city up. And they still have seemed thus far to continue to vote for the status quo and more of the same. So that was the point I was trying to make. Um, I I guess I disagree with the idea that if we just have more staunch conservatives, that that's going to flip uh, flip some of these cities. But I do appreciate the fact that he says, hey, we don't we, we need to be in the cities. <laughs> that's where the voters are. That's where we have um, issues that we can run on. We can run on crime and homelessness and um, small business and public safety, all that stuff. So um, I appreciate that he wants to engage in those areas and doesn't want to just just uh, pretend that um, the state is really just what you see in a Chevy commercial. The other area that I pushed back a little bit on was just the the candidates that we discussed in particular, Joe Kent and Semi Bird. And I understand completely that uh, I fully appreciate that his job is to help elect Republican officials. So that is literally his job as chairman is to help make that happen. And, you know, sort of like a, a football coach plays the game with the team he has, the team that's been assembled. He's going to go into the election cycle and try and help those candidates win regardless of who they are. So I fully appreciated that. I just kept wanting to try and edge him. And I knew he couldn't. <laughs> I knew he couldn't. But I kind of yeah. wanted to prod him into um, whether or not he would say that he felt compelled at all to sort of whip votes during these endorsement processes for either either what I would consider more classically conservative candidates. Um, and, you know, getting back to what we were just discussing about um, the episode with Todd Myers, where we do have this new dichotomy between what we would consider the true conservatism and then sort of this new nationalist, populist, right? Um, so when when you have candidates that are competing against each other and they're in those two camps, like does he feel compelled to try and whip votes for one or the other? Or even that's where we got into the whole what makes a strong candidate aspect is um, yeah i would i was gonna say i i don't even know that you could because yeah one of the issues to your point about him being in a position where he needs to get republicans elected uh if i'm a coach and i have a uh a pretty weak quarterback and he's my starter i'm not going to stand up and say hey i would have anybody else line up behind center if i could that's not exactly a way to, to send out a winning message so i i get it he needs to win campaigns and and to what we've talked about, right? We we hope he does well because Republican Party is the best uh, vehicle to advance conservatism. But I don't even know that uh, I'd be interested in necessarily hearing what he'd say about leaning into a classical conservative candidate versus a populist new right candidate. More to the Joe Kent uh, uh, question or, or area of disagreement is, I don't know that Joe Kent is the electable face of the Republican Party, both in his district nor would it be the best foot forward in terms of taking back, clawing back some of the counties and parts of the state that we need to win 
statewide. So if if and he and he said this and and he, he brought this up in the podcast is one of his goals is to uh, redefine or reshape the way voters see Republicans around the state. And, and and classical conservative, new right, all that stuff aside, I don't think you do that with with Joe Kent. So, um, and and again, you know, right, it, it, that decision was made before he was in the role, uh, so I don't lay that entirely at his feet. Um, but no, I think that was an interesting place to to push back on him. With. Yeah, I, well, you're a hundred percent right with that. And I again, I, I understand where he can't sit here and throw Joe Kent under the bus. I mean. That quarterback has been drafted, and that's his starter. But when you start looking at the gubernatorial race and say, hey, uh, we need a running back, I maybe you go poke your general manager and say, hey, that candidate you're looking over there doesn't have a leg, and this other one does. So maybe draft that guy. Um, so I understand that you know you can't come on a, a podcast and and – flaunt in front of the entire globe that is listening to the show the uh your plans and and everything that goes behind closed doors because i think you and i are both in favor of the uh smoke-filled rooms and all that and and making sure that uh you're you're putting forth the best candidate and so i'm hoping some of those things are happening behind the scenes and um i mean i think i'm on record saying that i wish every election was decided by four maybe five people tops that's right so So there's (laughs) you and me and we'll we'll debate who the other two can be so yeah um but yeah again super generous with his time didn't have to do that like you said he's been in that position for a month and he gave us well over an hour of his time and so we look forward to having him back on and and doing a a deeper dive and some different issues because as he said we didn't even really get into policy and that's that's what we really like to talk about but you know unfortunately unfortunately and you know it is it can be fun as well to talk about the electoral politics side of it but that can also be the uh the the frustrating part that you have to get through to get to the real stuff and he commented that his role isn't exactly uh ideology or policy specific right he's going to use policy to define the republican party and help candidates win uh to his point about framing candidates i think is how he put it um but yeah no his his role is entirely politically focused, uh, which gets to an interesting kind of question about how he'll balance his role as the chair of the state party, as well as his uh, legislative responsibilities. Um, he's going to remain in the House in the ni- uh, as a House rep for the 19th. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, and, and he did say that if the good people of the 19th district think that he's not able to balance the two, that they'll, of course, hire somebody else, which I think is, you know, a, a, a fair <laughs> position, but um, yeah, would absolutely love to have him back on and discuss policy. He brought up some interesting points there near the end. Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose if, if he's listening to this, uh, thank you, Jim, so much for being so generous with your time. You really <laughs> can't thank you enough. Transition slightly. One of the other things that I wanted to do sort of a one-on-one here was to sort of discuss some campaign emails I've received. I, Ken, do you receive any campaign emails? I'm sure you do, whether you signed up for them or not. Yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, from sins of a past life, I'm not sure what, but uh, I receive far too many of them. And uh, yeah, I uh, I got I want to ask, do text messages work? When you get a text message from a candidate, Josh, do you look around and say, thank you, that's a guy I'm voting for, that this this text message asking me to 
donate five dollars or doorbell uh, is what is what persuaded me because I I'm told by professionals and people much smarter than me that it works. I know it's cost effective, and every time I receive a text message from a candidate, I think that's one more person I don't have to worry about voting for. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because actually, um, my wife just the other night somewhat accused me of signing her up for some sort of campaign text message service or something because she said how she received like three that day and was um, buried in text messages related to work and personal stuff and had all this political stuff. And um, since they were addressed to me in her text message saying, Josh, come vote or give us five bucks or whatever it is. She assumed that I had given out her phone number, which I assured her I most certainly have not and would not do that. I I try not to even give mine out, but they find you. I, they find you whether, whether it's through the voter registration or you, you give someone five bucks and suddenly you're on some list, you donate to a nonprofit and they're selling their list and, uh, on and on it goes. So, uh, does that, work on me? Absolutely not. Just like a yard sign doesn't. But um, does it work on somebody? I suppose it does, or maybe they wouldn't do it. But I I don't know. Uh, I, I can't. I think most people don't like spam. And most people don't like to be intruded on their phone because it's like someone suddenly changing the channel on you and making you watch something you don't want to watch or sliding a piece of paper in front of you when you're reading a book. So um, I find it annoying. Uh, but you know, direct voter contact, it checks that box more so than a commercial or a yard sign, but, um, obviously wouldn't put it up there in the upper echelon of knocking on doors or, or anything in that regard. But the reason I bring it up is, um, I happen to be on Jared Sussler's email list, Jared Sussler running once again for fourth congressional district after finishing, I think what sixth. So, oh, no, boy. no, he was fifth, I think, something like that. Um, but I didn't sign up for these. Uh, I was a former PCO, and they obviously, when they were trying to drum up support for him and get his endorsement, they added everyone to his list. And I just went ahead and left myself on there, mostly for entertainment purposes. And I, I guess this is the sort of thing that entertains, in, entertains me, but I guess I have a little bit of a self torture flogging streak in me because um this the sort of thing that irritates me to no end but here i am still on the list because the one i received recently um said of course dear patriot i was recently on lars larson's radio show where i exposed rep dan newhouse's rhino voting record Lars and I discussed why I'm running for Congress in Washington's 4th District, blah, blah, blah. Newhouse's voting record is worse than just voting to impeach President Trump. He voted for the sham January 6th commission, a political witch hunt that continues to target Trump supporters. He also voted for a vaccine tracking bill and supported funding for Planned Parenthood. And then he goes on that Dan Newhouse has been part of the establishment for far too long. He's DC's biggest rhino, and I can defeat him with your help. So... We're going to have to dive into this a little bit because, first off, the rhino thing annoys me to no end. As as I've said before, back in the day, and, I, you know, I feel old saying that, but like 20 years ago, a, a rhino was someone like Arlen Specter who actually did vote mostly with Democrats. Now, it's 
it's mostly turned into just whether or not you support Donald Trump. And so once Dan Newhouse voted to impeach him, Rhino was the ultimate tag. And that that's just something that a certain segment of the Republican base is just going to call anyone who doesn't support Donald Trump a rhino. And it's lazy. Well, and it's it's not even uh it's not even whether or not they support Donald Trump in a voting capacity. Even someone like uh, uh Representative Liz Cheney, when she was in Congress, had voted with the president, I think something like ninety five percent of the time. She voted for the president more times than uh Elise Stefanik did. And yet well, we all saw the way her career went. But but before the impeachment stuff came up, uh, she wasn't exactly a darling of the far right, whereas at least Stefanik was. And so, uh, yeah, no, Rhino is just a stand-in for someone who I want to see lose their election. It has no more, it has no meaning anymore. <laughs> yeah, we got to listen to a little bit of, of this interview and we'll uh, we'll have to break this down a little bit. I think you may have just found the thing I hate more than text messages from Canada, Josh. Why are you making me do this? <laughs> well, uh, just for our this this is a full service podcast here, so we we the the, the people the listeners demand this sort of uh, hot political takes. So hey, we are we are here to inform our listeners, and so they're gonna. <laughs> have to listen to this breakdown of Jared Sussler. And hey, we're probably giving Jared Sussler way more um, notoriety and um, exposure than he would otherwise. Well, Jared, since indictments are so popular these days among the Democrats, I thought, why don't you give us the indictment of Dan Newhouse? Tell us why why you think he's not properly representing the people. I, I would probably agree with you on most of the things you're about to say. Yeah, I mean, you, the summary is obviously voted to impeach President Trump. He funds Planned Parenthood about $1.6 billion over the last four years. If you do the math, that's about $1.8 million per day. He supported the sham J6 commission, still does to this day. In fact, I was with him the other day, and he said he didn't vote for it. And that was a lie. You can look up in the Congress record. He did vote for it. Uh, he votes to take away our guns, halt deportation. He voted in, in favor of a vaccine tracking bill. And to be honest, Lars, he votes like he's from like he was elected from seattle or portland not somebody that was elected from central washington where we absolutely need a conservative voice in congress so we're gonna have to break this down because so jared outlines these six different things and the first one being that he voted to impeach donald trump and i don't even know that we need to go into this one because obviously if you think that that's a problem then i i can't convince you otherwise because if you are so set on the fact that Donald Trump did nothing wrong on January 6th, he didn't didn't try to steal the election, then I can't help you. I, do you have anything to say at that? Or can we just move on to the other stuff that I think is actually new and exciting that we can talk about? I, I think I'm just more excited to see where this uh, ultra, ran ultra ranch you're getting set up to... Uh jump onto here goes so um yeah i'm buckled up getting my popcorn and i'm i'm ready to listen <laughs> well so the next item on there was that newhouse voted to fund planned parenthood 1.6 billion over four years so first off dan newhouse has an a rating from the susan b anthony pro-life organization and um Actually, earlier this year, uh, Michelle, uh, Rep. Michelle Fishbach introduced H.R. 371, 
Um, Ken, do you know what the name of that bill is? HR three seven one. You're a genius if you do, and you know all your HRs. Um, it, it, it's not a trick question. It's actually, it's the Defund Plant Parenthood Act of 2023. And do you know who is a co-sponsor on that bill? I'm going to guess not Jared Sessler. <laughs> <laughs> Nor will he ever be because he will not be in Congress in this lifetime. But you're right. It um, shouldn't yes, have said that. You should go outside, spit, turn around three <laughs> times, and uh, throw some salt over the other shoulder. I hey, if uh, if my words come back to haunt me, then you know so be it. But um, so Dan Newhouse is a sponsor on a bill, particularly specifically to defund Planned Parenthood, and. So I don't know what Jared Sessler is talking about here, but here is Dan Newhouse from eight years ago where he is talking about Planned Parenthood and the funding for Planned Parenthood. I think Congress must take action to ensure that taxpayers are not unknowingly accomplices in taking in the taking of an innocent human life. Taxpayers are currently the largest funding source for Planned Parenthood, providing the organization with more than $500 million in last fiscal year alone. No American should be forced to support the callous and immoral actions perpetuated by Planned Parenthood. I firmly believe that H.R. 3134 is the only way to stop federal funding for Planned Parenthood as we investigate the deplorable actions that the videos showed us. I also want to address a misconception about this bill, and I've heard this several times this evening. Do not be coerced into believing that we are facing what you could call a Sophie's choice. We are not being forced to choose between supporting the health of our nation's women and forcing taxpayers to support abortions. That is not the choice. While Congress thoroughly investigates the actions of Planned Parenthood, an equal amount of government funding that Planned Parenthood would not receive under this bill would be allocated to other health providers, including community health clinics, who provide vital and comprehensive health care for women. So that's a four-minute clip, and we just played a portion of it there. But pretty clearly, and that's that's eight years old, and even this year, Dan Newhouse is voting to defund Planned Parenthood. So he's clearly pro-life. Now, I have no idea what Jared Slester's talking about with the $1.6 billion. The only thing I can think of is that he's talking about final budget passages and if they happen to include funding for Planned Parenthood. So maybe that has to be it, but is that a fair representation of what Dan Newhouse's position is on the issue of abortion? And the answer is clearly not. So he's trying to, at, at best, cherry pick specific votes and frame Dan Newhouse as someone that he's not claiming that Dan Newhouse votes to fund Planned Parenthood. Um, that is not an accurate representation of his view on that issue. I feel like we've been here before, Josh, uh, where I, I just feel compelled to remind you that sometimes in politics, folks will say things that are not true. <laughs> I know. And I get it, but it, it can still annoy me. And yes, 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 yes. I get it. And, um, I get that there is a, I understand the political game of trying to use your opponent's words or votes against them. But if you're just being flat out dishonest, then that's what I take issue with. Because the next thing that he mentioned was the 
um, sham January 6th commission and that he, um, that Sessler was with Newhouse the other day and Newhouse lied about it. And you can go look at the congressional record. We already talked about this one. I uh, went into it in pretty, pretty solid depth in a former uh, prior episode called Politics is a Game of Inches, uh, one of the best titles we've had. Um, so Dan Newhouse apparently explained the difference between those because, again, it was two different bills. Newhouse voted for one and against the other. And Jared Sessler either still doesn't understand or he's purposefully being misleading. And I don't know which one is worse, but either one is not honest and uh, he should be ashamed of himself. So the next one on here is that he votes to take away our guns. And I, I love how casual this is, just <laughs> just throwing out these bombs as, as if it's just someone who's straight out of the left wing. But first off, Dan Newhouse has an A rating from the NRA. The NRA endorsed him last cycle, including over Jared Sessler. So the NRA obviously could have chose, chose Jared Sessler if it should have compelled them to. But um, I think we should have a future pod on gun control and guns and such. Yeah. And maybe we need to we need to write that down. Um, I think sometimes we have all these uh, episodes that we discuss that we need to do, and they're just living up <laughs> in our head. But um, but then anyway, if you happen to go to danhouse.com slash guns, which didn't take me that long to find, um, it states on there, Dan Newhouse is an A rating from the National Rifle, Rifle Association and will fight to stop all of Biden's unconstitutional gun grabs, national registries, and red flag laws. So... Again, I didn't know what the heck Sessler was talking about here until I got another email from him just a couple days ago. So this one's fresh, and it says, or the the subject was Washington State is coming for your guns. And I thought, all right, okay. boy, how's he going to work? How's he going to work Newhouse into this? Um, so he says, dear Patriot, the Second Amendment is under attack in Washington State. Last year, Governor Jay Inslee and Attorney General Bob Ferguson signed SB five zero seven eight into law. Well. Attorney generals don't sign bills into laws, do they? But uh, I, I, I don't think so. I've, I've never seen him at the governor's desk, you know, signing. I, Although who I, knows? I, I uh, given that Jandley's <laughs> handpicked uh, Bob, he might have him practice with him when That's he right. signs. <laughs> That's right. So um, anyway, um, and criminalized Washingtonians who purchased a magazine that could hold over ten rounds of ammunition. Just this year, Governor Inslee signed a ban on some rifles like AR-15. Uh, the Washington state government's infringements on the second amendment are only getting worse. And here we go. Unfortunately, we do not have a pro-gun ally for a representative in DC either. Gun rights are being attacked at the state and federal levels and rep Dan Newhouse has done nothing to fight for our liberties. Newhouse has enabled infringements on the second amendment by voting in favor of unconstitutional red flag laws and blah, blah, blah. Send a true Patriot Congress, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think so. He must be talking about red, about red flag laws. And then so first off, I, as I just mentioned um, on Daniel House's own website, he says he's against red flag laws. I'm a little loose. I, maybe loose is the wrong word. I'm a red flag law curious, where I don't think that's a cut and dry issue. I think it requires some conversation. I know, and I don't want to get into the whole gun control debate because we could be here all night. But um, that's an area where. I have some interest, like I want to have that conversation and I don't want it to turn into something nonsensical, which is obviously what Jared Sessler is trying to do. But um, I would like to have that be a real conversation about, is that something that could work where we're not infringing 
on the second amendment and, you know, obviously got to be very careful there. But, um, so I decided to take five minutes and research this just a little bit, but, um, we'll just say in, in 2021, Newhouse uh, signed on to a letter to the uh, the Democratic chairs and ranking members of the Armed Services Committees regarding um, what was then Bill H.R. 350, the House National Defense Authorization Act. And in there, there was a section, um, section 529, where um, I'm going to read from that section. It just says that um, a military court protective order issued on an ex parte basis shall restrain a person from possessing, receiving, or otherwise accessing a firearm and a military court protective order issued after the person has been subject to the order has received notice an opportunity to be heard on the order shall restrain such person from possessing, receiving, or otherwise accessing a firearm in accordance with this section. Um, so... Newhouse sent a letter or signed on to a letter with a number of other representatives where they basically asked them to pull that section out because what that is is a red flag law. And this is specifically referring to members in the military service who um, have been accused of uh, some sort of domestic violence or have a, um, a protective order sought against them. And so that alone is obviously a very sensitive subject, I would say. But um, Newhouse was asking to have that section removed because he said, these are people who are fighting for our country. And this is counter to the Second Amendment, et cetera, et cetera. I won't, I won't read from the letter. But um, and he, he especially took issue in the letter with the ex parte section, which is what that means is you didn't show up in court. And if you're ex parte, they still hand this down. So you didn't show up to court to defend yourself. And someone still says, we're taking your guns away. So in sh this is a red flag law, and Dan Newhouse sent a letter to have this removed. From what I could tell, in the final passage of this bill, it stayed in there. This was a Democrat-led bill, a Democrat House majority, a Democrat Senate majority, and a Democrat president. They're going to get their way, and we're going we're gonna to really... I, I think that sort of summarizes a lot of this in the fact that Jared Sessler wants to cherry pick specific votes, not realizing that sometimes you vote on something, um, even if it's not perfect, if it's not exactly what you want, because um, sometimes there's more good in there than there is bad. Sometimes it's uh, the best you can get. Sometimes you put up a good fight. Sometimes you're making a trade. Um, but if everything's black and white, cut and dry for one Jared Sessler, then I can't wait to see him not in the house. Yeah, no, some, sometimes it's about making a bad bill slightly less bad. And when you're in the minority, that's a lot of what you're doing. You're either trying to play outright defense, which in the case of when you got majorities in the House, Senate, and the White House, not a whole lot you can do. And so part of your job is to just finding little ways to make tweaks here and there, knowing that's going to pass, knowing that maybe you can have a, a small amount of influence to make it a little, a little less bad or a little bit better. And uh, And I get it. It's politics, but to to your point earlier, right? There's a difference between uh, what's that saying? Politics isn't isn't beanbag. Um, yeah, you know, there's a difference between uh, politicking the, the 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 you know taking what was said and twisting a bit and just outright lying. And so far, uh, the examples you've given from those emails are just that outright lies. And so, 
um, yeah, I think it's Daniel House's stance on the Second Amendment is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty clear in the time he's been in Congress. And I have no indications that he's going to suddenly do a, a 180 on this one. And so I, I'm not sure what Jared Sussler was talking about here. But um, yeah, if and and I think this highlights one of the one of the broader problems in Congress and legislators and politics today anyway, is this idea that um, that it kind of gets at the purity question we've talked about in the past. You know, would you rather have someone effective or someone quote unquote pure all the time? And uh, I mean, the, the purity play may get clicks on Fox news and social media, but end of the day, we send people to DC or Olympia uh, or our local city halls to be effective and to get things done. And so, um, yeah, I, I uh, would count on Dan 10 times out of 10 to not only do the right thing, uh, but in the case of who's you, who's who's most likely to get things actually done in Congress, I'm going to put that uh, on Dan as well. So, um, yeah, still, <laughs> I, I, I know you got more, and I'm excited to see where it goes because I'm enjoying <laughs> this so far. Um, but, yeah, it, so far it's just been kind of pointing out outright lies, not even creative, like, wordsmithing of issues, just full-blown lies. Well, it's because, and to circle back to the first item, that's all they have. All all they have is the Trump impeachment. So now they're trying to make up other stuff. And I say they because a lot of this echoes a lot of the same lines of attack that Lauren Culp went down um, last year when he ran for Congress. He he attacked him over the vaccine database and over the January 6th commission. It, it It's the same exact stuff because they have nothing. All they have is the down, the, the Donald Trump impeachment vote, which if Dan Newhouse voted the other way, it wouldn't have made any difference. I mean, he didn't get removed from office. So it was a purely symbolic vote, but that was enough to offend their delicate sensibilities. And so now we have to deal with all this uh, nonsense. I completely but, forgot uh, Lauren Culp ran for Congress. Thank you for uh, that reminder. I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry. I, I just sucked went... you back into that. <laughs> I... Well, and then beyond that, so even just, uh, I think within the last few days, Dan Newhouse also introduced a House resolution specifically to condemn the New Mexico governor for her um, emergency order that was, I think, to um, rescind concealed carry in Albuquerque. Yeah, which which credit to New Mexico real quick has been uh, pretty overwhelmingly unpopular by yeah. people on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, and yeah, their attorney general said, I'm not going to enforce that. And so, um, but Newhouse is clearly pro Second Amendment. So thus far, he's, he's, Sessler is trying to just hit the major Republican conservative issues and just say, Dan Newhouse is not that. Um, so the, the next one on there is he voted to halt deportation. And this one is such a broad accusation that I didn't even want to spend any time going down this rabbit hole. It takes zero effort to find that Dan Newhouse is in favor of a secure border. He's against illegal immigration. Uh, what he is in favor of is having some a proper system set up to have legal immigration even temporary visas for workers to come over to help with agriculture and other areas where we might need labor assistance. So that one's just a bizarre accusation that he voted to halt deportation. But you, you one said of the that ones... as if all the others have been bizarre <laughs> accusations. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I got to think of, of something to describe all these. There, there's obviously the common thread that they're all um, absolute, complete and utter nonsense. The last one on here is that he voted for the vaccine tracking bill. And this is another one that annoys me on the same level as the January 6th commission one, because it, again, this one is completely dishonest. And I, I started going on the path of breaking this down, but um, actually uh, Rep. Dan Crenshaw does even even better job of explaining this one because uh, this came up, this vote happened in December of 2021. And this was, um, I think it was HB 550. And uh, I'll let Dan Crenshaw explain it. Real talk, time to debunk some lies, some lies from our own side this time. So this one's about the vaccine database that you keep hearing about. Like that's what got voted on in Congress and people are mad because some Republicans voted for it, some didn't. All right, here's the truth on it. Every Republican up here, by the way, knows that that particular bill, which was Republican led, actually makes it harder to track vaccine information on the individual level. It actually decreases the amount of money that was originally allocated for these systems by the Biden administration. So let's back up, let me tell you the full story. There are something called immunization information systems uh, at every state, these have long existed. In the American Rescue Plan passed entirely by Democrats, no Republicans voted for it. They added about $500 million to that system and told states to quote, make them better, right? They didn't put any guardrails, they didn't put any details, they just said, make them better. Now this worried Republicans because we're worried about these authoritarian blue state governors that indeed do want to track your data and, and do want to employ vaccine mandates and passports and the such. And so there was a Republican led effort for this exact provision to decrease the funding for it and ensure that if states take that money, they have to make the data anonymous and only collect it at the population level so that you can't be tracked. So the Republicans screaming about this bill saying it's bad, it's, it does the exact opposite of what they're saying. And they know that, but they also don't like explaining votes to you. That's the truth. This bill provided funding to uh, modernize and expand our in immunization information systems that we have at every single state. Every state has these where they track whether or not you've had your measles, mumps, and rubella, or your tetanus, and you can go to your doctor and they can see which vaccines you've had. And every state's a little different, of course, but what this bill did was say that you can um, aggregate this data, but you cannot share that data with the federal government unless it is at the population level and it is confidential. And I can read that directly from here where it says confidential population-based computerized database that records immunization doses administered by any healthcare provider to persons within the geographic area covered by that database. So this is not a national database at all. The insinuation is that Dan Newhouse voted to fund a national vaccine database so that the federal government can go knock on your door and say, hey, you haven't got your COVID vaccine. That is not what this does at all. The state can still do that. There's nothing that Dan Newhouse can do to prevent Jay Inslee from saying, hey, we know you didn't get your vaccine. You need to go get it or you're fired or anything like that. But from a federal standpoint, it is a flat out falsehood to say that this is a <laughs> vaccine tracking bill. That is not what it does. It helps modernize these immunization information systems, but is entirely confidential 
and um, population-based statistics only that could be shared with the federal government. I don't know. I, if you tilt your head and squint really hard and then plug your ears, uh, it sounds pretty close to a national tracking system is what I'm hearing. I, you know, that's the thing is you can you can pin terminology onto anything and just call it that. And suddenly it just gains a life of its own. And again, this is the same thing that Lauren Culp was squawking about last year. Um, and it's just absolute nonsense. But, you know, one of the one of the things that bugged me the most was that last little bit that when Sessler said he votes like he's elected from Seattle or Portland. So <laughs> that one's comical as well, because um, that makes me wonder if Jared actually believes that or if he's just talking what it feels like to him, because do facts matter or do your feelings matter? Because this is another thing where there's all sorts of websites out there that you can go look at comparisons. And the reality is there's there's way more nuance in voting. But um, what I went ahead and did is I went to 538.com. And from the last session, I saw that Dan Huas voted with Joe Biden's agenda 29.2% of the time. Now, for a comparison, Matt Gates voted with him, with Biden, 15.9% of the time. So Dan Newhouse voted with him a little bit more often, but um, let's look at Seattle. Pramila Jayapal voted with Joe Biden 98.2% of the time. So like almost a full 70% more often than Dan Newhouse. And then uh, down in Portland, Earl Blumenauer voted 99.1% of the time with Joe Biden. And it, it is worth pointing out that um, there's only one Democrat in the entire House that voted less than 90% of the time with Joe Biden, and that was uh, Jared Golden from Maine. But Dan Newhouse voting 29% of the time with Joe Biden is nowhere near the echelon of any other Democrat, let alone the one from Seattle or the one from Portland. And so also I went over to ProPublica, and they have where you can directly compare representatives. And so um, Dan Newhouse and Matt Gates voted together 78% of the time. And if Matt Gates is your ideal congressman, I mean, seek counseling, uh, but I, it, God help you. But, but even if that is your ideal congressman, which I think the person that we're talking about here, uh, that might be the case, 78% of the time, okay, maybe not great. But on the other hand, Newhouse and Jayapal voted together 38% of the time. And it was the exact same figure with Blumenauer. 38% of the time, Dan Newhouse voted with Jayapal and Blumenauer, so from Seattle and Portland. I don't think 38% of the time is really a signifier of you're from that area, you vote like you're from that area. Um, because on the other hand, Matt Gates voted with those same individuals, uh, respectively 28% and 29% of the time. So... I, I, and I get some votes out there to rename post offices or anything of the sort, um, some of that nonsense. But, but really, if you, if you look at the straight numbers, um, it's pretty clearly that that's just a nonsense line. And if he believes that or if he thinks that's just politically expedient, um, whatever. But uh, f facts over feelings there, Mr. Sessler. All right, so, so let's go back to the uh, Lars Larson interview with uh, Jared Sessler. So it's difficult for me to answer. I tend to be the type of person that I don't like to go personal on things. And so I won't do that. 
and I won't speculate, but I will say that, you know, Dan, Dan grew up in politics. His, his dad was in Olympia. He served in Olympia. Then he went to Washington, D.C. Uh, I just think that he's, he's part of the establishment. You know, he, I think there's a lot of people um, on the establishment side that, you know, sort of like the 49 years that we put up with, uh, you know, the blight of abortion on our country, I think that Dan Newhouse has just become uh, sort of part of the system. And he just sort of follows along, go along to get along sort of a person. So I want to pause there real quick because, um, so the question that I kind of cut off there from Lars was, why do you think Dan Newhouse votes this way if he's supposed to be a Republican? Well, we sort of just debunked everything that he just said, which is just hot garbage. But I I do want to focus on this establishment part because we talked about that in a prior episode. This is just such a lazy non-response when you have nothing to say. And this is this to me is the right-wing version of how people on the left will just reflexively call people that they disagree with a racist um, or some, something like that. This is the nationalist, populist, right-wing that just says anyone who has experience or is um, aligned with classic <laughs> understanding of conservatism, just to call them part of the establishment. And as we've mentioned, there are other candidates going down this exact same path. Um, It's lazy. Come up with something better than it. I I think this is kind of more uh, reflective of what happens when someone runs for Congress, not because they have uh, deep principle disagreements with what's been done. Well, aside from the impeachment vote, perhaps, but uh, not because they have deep, deep personal disagreements or principle disagreements with with what's what Dan Newhouse has voted on or what his stances have been. Uh, you know, for example, let's say uh, a Democrat was the current representative, uh, the congressman for the uh, fourth here. Um, yeah, then I'm sure he'd have, you know, deeper divisions here. But th- this is what happens when someone runs for Congress who was just told, hey, you should be in Congress and got the picture of having a fancy office having all the, uh, you know, social media followers, uh, like the way it sounded when he put congressman before his last name uh, and decided, you know what, I should be in Congress and just started to run. He started to run before he had a reason or purpose for it and figured he would just come up with those along the way. And this is him scrambling, trying to come up with reasons why he's running against Dan Newhouse along the way. Because uh, I guarantee if... Any of the votes that Jared Sessler is ripping into Newhouse for had been done by, let's say, Congressman Donald Trump, he would not have had a single issue with any one of those. And so, um, yeah, it, and and I will say this is by no means a Jared Sessler-only issue. Uh, this is a pretty common occurrence around the country, especially today. And in fact, some of those folks are... Uh, maybe even running for president, but uh, yeah, it it's pretty sad to watch, hard to watch, and you really just hope that folks like this don't succeed. Um, not because you know maybe some of them are diamonds in the rough, but if you're running for Congress or any elected office, just because you like the way the title sounds or you think it'd look cool on your LinkedIn profile, uh, maybe don't do it. Yeah, that's right. And you started that off with, you know, if someone told you that you should be in Congress. Uh, the person that said that was himself. I, I, if you go look at his PDC filing, or sorry, not PDC, FEC filings, not much there. Um, let, let's get back to it here. 
nervous that he did not stand up to the McCarthy vote in January. He wasn't part of the 20 to, you know, change some of the rules in Congress. You know, here's the deal. He's perfectly welcome to come home and be our neighbor, but he doesn't have the trust of the people in central Washington to be our congressman, to be our representative anymore. He wasn't part of the 20, um, you know, meaning with Matt Gates and his ilk. But there are, I think, 221 Republican congressmen in in the House of Representatives. So is he saying that 201 of them need to go? Like anyone who isn't part of the Freedom Caucus needs to go? Um, only those who voted against (laughs) Kevin McCarthy can stay. Um, I, I don't know that that's really an issue to run on. I mean, I'm, I'm not a Kevin McCarthy defender in in any sense of the word, but, um, does he think that that is something that's going to appeal to the voters in the fourth congressional district that, Oh, Dan Newhouse voted for McCarthy. Um, I don't see that making a play, but let's get back to it here. Jared, you've hit the point where, as a voter, what I care about is represent the best interests of the people in your district. And if you say, well, but if I make some votes, people aren't going to like it, or certain organizations won't like it, and they won't give me money, or they'll, they'll put somebody else up against me. I, 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 would, I wish we had members of Congress who said, you know, if I vote for the right thing, and then the voters send me home, that's okay, because I've got a life back at home. I've got a job. I've got a house. Uh, I love being there instead of here. I'm here to serve. And if you send me home, that's okay. I'll be all right. But there's a people, and I think they're the majority on Capitol Hill, for whom their entire life is being a member of Congress. And they plan to stay for as many decades as they possibly can. And the last thing they want is to be sent home. And it changes the way they vote. So I actually don't disagree with anything Lars said there except for the fact that he's pointing out that it changes the way they vote. Are they talking about the same person here? Because the entire reason Jared Sisler's running, as we've said, is that because of those items that we listed, most of which are crap, but uh, the first one being that he voted to impeach Donald Trump. And that was politically not a good decision for Dan Newhouse. Um, But he did it anyway, because he felt that that was what his conscience determined he should do. And rather than remaining popular in his district and just cruising to re-election for the rest of his life, he took a vote knowing that it was going to be unpopular. I happen to think it was the right decision and the Senate sort of convicted him and we would have been done with him and be moving on with our lives at this point. But here, Lars Larson is saying that we have politicians afraid of being sent home I don't think that's Dan Newhouse in this regard. And, you know, that's not to say that Newhouse um, doesn't ever vote in manners that are politically expedient. But clearly, when he voted for Donald Trump, he wasn't worried about being sent home. Um, But, I mean, let's let's see what Jared Sessler has to say about that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, oh, oh, he totally agrees. So never mind. (laughs) Um, So I I guess they agree on that, Ken. But um, Let's uh, let's get, let's get back to it. I would, I would say in Dan Newhouse's case, he, he would be much better off if he would just communicate. You know, he's not excited about anything and he's represents, you know, 750,000 people. There should be a new issue on his tongue every single day that he's excited about, that he's that he's, you know, letting the people know that he cares. And even when he makes a vote, like if 
if I get to Congress, I sh I'm sure that not every vote, every single person is going to agree with, but I guarantee you I'm going to come out and I'm going to say, why did I vote this way? What? This one's fascinating because I don't want my congressman excited about a new thing every day. And, you know, I, I, that's talking head OANN um, joined Steve Bannon's podcast to just to rile people up and give them a new thing to be um, excited about. You know, this this reminds me of kind of one thing that I think Jonah's talked about before Jonah Goldberg on his podcast, The Remnant. Back when the Founding Fathers originally outlined the election cycle, meaning uh, especially House of Representatives being voted on every two years, there wasn't any vision that we were going to have TV and podcasts and just constant access to our congressmen. It was going to be, we vote for you, we send you off, two years later, you come back and tell us how it went, and we decide if we wanted to keep you there. Now, Jared Susser wants to be excited about something every day. Every day, he wants to be excited about something. Um, he wants constant feedback, and he wants to give constant referendums on things. Um, the problem is people like this who expect to be entertained, like this is some sort of political blood, blood sport. And the reality is Dan Newhouse has been vocal on a number of issues. I mean, especially lately on the fentanyl crisis, um, on relations with China, particularly with um, the purchase of agricultural land, um, very much on our dams, yeah. lots of other issues. But Sessler wants something new and exciting every day. Well, and he's also day. been pretty vocal on some of the issues that Sessler hit him on in his emails and in this interview. I, I'd say that Daniel yeah, House like, has been pretty Second Amendment supportive yeah. of the Second Amendment. I'd say Daniel House has been pretty vocally pro-life. Uh, so, yeah, this idea that Congressman Newhouse isn't explaining his votes or doing a good job of coming back to district and explaining his stances on issues or checking in with voters is just a complete misrepresentation of the entire time Dan Newhouse has been in Congress. Well, it, it's because he's not showing up on his preferred programs and acting like a crazy banshee. And I get Dan is a very soft-spoken individual, even from the clip we played there. He's, he's um, you know, modest and um, somewhat stoic, but he gets the job done as far as the business of this district. And so I, I, this continues to fascinate me, but hey, we're, we're not done yet. Well, and, and before we, we move on, I just because it's finally come up where I, I have a chance to bring in one of my favorite, favorite quotes of all time, and it's this idea that elected members of Congress need to represent the opinions, yes. merely go to gonna... D.C. and and reflect the exact opinions of the the people or the voters. And Are you so, going to drop some Edmund Burke on oh, me here? Oh, or? yeah. I'm going to bring in some Edmund Burke. You already knew where I was going with this. So <laughs> this course. is from Edmund Burke's speech to the electors of Bristol. He's, he's, he said, Your representative owes you not his industry only, but his judgment. And he betrays you instead of serving you if he sacrifices it to your opinion. Meaning that, we send people to D.C. or Olympia to, yeah, sure, represent maybe broader interests of the folks that they elected them there. But you send them there because the principles and stances that they've taken in the campaign and and throughout the election cycle uh, uh, align close enough with yours that you feel confident that they'll represent uh, your your stances on issues. Not that they will be just a mere image of of um, what you want done. Plenty of members of Congress that I largely agree with do things every day that I don't agree with all the time. Would I, if I was in their district, would I vote for them? Probably, because as we've talked about, right, uh, advancing conservatism 
isn't about a purity test. Advancing things I like isn't about a purity test. You don't have to be hundred percent all the time in agreement with the people you send to, to DC city hall, Olympia, wherever it is. That's not the point of representative government. And the other thing Burke is saying there is that your representative often knows more about these issues than you. And so if you have an opinion on the vaccine database, that's because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and when Dan Newhouse votes on it, he does. And the same thing on the January, the sham January 6th commission. I have tried explaining that to people, um, including Jared Sessler, and they still don't get it. And um, I, I don't know what to do about that. But uh, good poll. Uh, I, I could tell where you're going with that one. So, And to your point, I'm not really hung up on Congress. I don't need the title. I've already been successful. I've grown businesses nationwide. I've raised a great family, homeschooled three kids, served in the military. I'm doing just fine. I would love to just stay here and, and work on my farm and do my stuff, but I feel like I can bring value to D.C. and value to the country right now and the problems that we're facing. I'm an engineer. I have a process mind. Our government is a process. It's a system. It's corrupted, and it's not being followed. And that's the reason why I think I'm the man for the job. Look, I, I don't know Jared personally. Um, I've met him before, as I've said. I've, uh, I'd say, observed his campaign and his rhetoric and his tactics. I don't believe for a second what he just said, uh, that he doesn't want the title. I think he desperately wants to be in Congress. As you were just saying before, I think he wants to be important. Um, I think he wants to pal around with Lauren Bobert. Uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, with Matt Gates, with Paul Gozar, Jim Jordan, the rest of the resident nutjobs, moonbats in Congress. I think he wants the applause and the adoration and uh, from the town halls filled with people shouting his name. I, like, I think he likes seeing his signs up. I think he likes hearing himself on the radio and on TV. I mean, why else would you spend $400,000 of your own money unless you desperately wanted this? Uh, because there are lots of people that can run for Congress. But now he's doubling down on it because, you know, that's a lot to invest and all you end up with uh, is a bunch of old t-shirts and some billboards that are still out there. Besides that, I firmly believe that he moved, and there's plenty of articles and such that have been written about this, that he moved over from the West Side to run for Congress. And I don't want to get into the whole weeds of it, but when he talks about being happy on his farm over here, I don't buy that for one second. Yeah, and, and, and you know, unless he's looking for some Dianne Feinstein level uh, stock trades here, it's going to take him a bit to to recoup that 400000 as a member of Congress. So it's not like it's the most, uh, not just a cut and dry financial decision, but no, absolutely. I, You know, that that line maybe would have landed with me uh, the last time you ran. Uh, but this one, especially given the second go around, uh, he's already not been elected once. Definitely begins to to claw away at that idea that he's doing this for some other reason than just again congressman sounding fun before his last name. Well, it's a line that sounds good, just like saying being back on your farm. You just bought that farm. You were a an entrepreneur and supposedly a, a well, not supposedly a former NASCAR driver, but like on a small regional circuit. He wasn't out there on Daytona five hundred or taking turns on Talladega nights with Jeff Gordon. Uh, this is like <laughs> practically stock car stuff over in uh, Monroe or something. But his background is not in farming. He's not a farmer. He just knows that it sounds good to say I'm a farmer and I don't want this job. I just feel I can contribute. And 
So look, I, I hate giving my brain power to this sort of thing. That just had to be done when I got those emails. I Maybe I should unsubscribe so that it, I'm not subjected to more of them. But um, I, I'm sure that we've covered a lot of them. I'm glad he listed out all of his charges against Dan Newhouse. We could just ping him down one by one because uh, that was just a lot of nonsense to go through. But a- as we said, to summarize, all he's got is the Trump vote. And it's nothing else. So other than that, they're grasping at straws and just trying to pin stuff on him. So go ahead and just call him pro-choice and anti-Second Amendment because that's what you're alluding to. But the record's the record. Yeah. Well, uh, Josh, thank you for digging yourself out of all your, uh, you know, uh, twine and string connecting the different uh, theories here presented by Sessler and and uh, finding the truth. Um, I, I I see your your murder board in the background there. So uh, <laughs> thank you for for taking the time to do this. You um, you did some good work here. Appreciate it. And uh, at least for me, I won't speak to our you know one or two listeners left at this point. But uh, I enjoyed it. I had a good time going on this roller coaster with you. And I'm glad we landed at. I think it's safe to say um, that most, if not all, of those claims. No, no, yeah, all those claims made by Jared Sessler are uh, not half-truths. They're not a slight misrepresentation of the facts. They are full-blown lies. Absolutely. And one of the things that I had discussed, and I think I even mentioned to you, is, hey, maybe we should get Dan Newhouse on to address some of these. And I realized, like, what an incredible waste of time to have to answer to your pro-life or Second Amendment credentials or have to explain the vaccine database nonsense um, we're going to have Dan on here and we're going to talk about real issues because that's what we want to talk about with him. And that would be just a waste of his time. So i um, happy to waste a little bit of my time to go down that nonsense rabbit hole um, and hop on Sessler's crazy train. But um, see myself off at this stop. We're going to uh, get back to the land of sanity. But we'll, uh, we will talk to you guys soon. And uh, we're going to be back with some good guests lined up. And uh, good talk to you, Ken. Yeah, thanks for the uh, thanks for the journey.